Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, my my lovely co-host here, lovely? Andrew Decker. Love, lovely? I don't know, man. Maybe my personality. It's a lovely person. You're, yeah, the Mr. Personality. We'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Because I've got a great face for radio. you got a face for radio, my friend. <laughs> um, hey, we have such a great show today, and I, I feel like I say that every week, but, but really... This is getting into something that's very uh, helpful, very timely for our defense practitioners out there. And it's going to be, I think, pretty, uh, pretty technically specific. Something that I think, you know, all of us need a little help on. Yeah, we've had a few times where we have had someone who is not an attorney on. Um, we've had a mitigation expert. We've had an ag, well, I guess actually she was, a, she was an attorney, an ag law expert. Um, but today we're actually having on an expert, a PhD uh, talking about chemical analysis, right? I mean, PhD. I mean, he's he's going to be able he, to lord that that degree, he, that title he over has us. Piled it higher and deeper, and that of <laughs> that's right. And that of course, I mean, who we're talking about, Doctor Kevin Shug, Doctor Shug. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Very happy to be here to talk to you today. Good deal. Well, let, let's start. Uh, obviously, we know you have a PhD, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your PhD in? Um, how did you get into chemical analysis? That's not something that, you know, like as a kindergartner, you go, I want to do chemical analysis when I grow up. Or maybe yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I actually said that growing up, but I, you know, I did grow up actually running around the halls of a chemistry building. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Blacksburg, Virginia, and my father was actually a chemistry professor at Virginia Tech. So I did uh, grow up, you know, trying to understand what those funny symbols were that he was writing, you know, on the paper late at night and whatnot. But, uh, did you ever pull you know, like I, a goodwill hunting where, you know, you just solve this complicated problem on a whiteboard and yeah, yeah. That's how I knew I was really had my calling yeah, as he would just yeah, throw up these <laughs> equations. And, you know, I'd say, you know, the answer to that is obviously three and then, <laughs> um, fantastic. Okay. But, so know, I grew up in West Virginia and then, and then what? Wait, wait, South, Southwest Virginia, in Virginia. Um, oh, and, uh, you know, I was playing sports and whatnot and, and ended up going to uh, William & Mary to, to play football, but quickly found that um, it, it would be hard to, you know, keep up with, uh, let's say, graduate from school and also have a good time at college, especially when you're trying to be a, a chemistry major. Um, so I gave up football and concentrated on a chemistry and, 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 you know, as one does during the summer, I got the opportunity to go and, and do an internship. And I did that internship back at Virginia Tech with uh, a fellow professor, Harold McNair, who's kind of one of the pioneers in, in uh, gas chromatography in the United States. Um, and uh, he eventually convinced me to uh, join him for a PhD. Uh, I was there, you know, around the the turn of the century, 98 to 2002, I was there uh, doing a PhD in analytical chemistry, uh, essentially specializing in chromatography and mass spectrometry. Um, after that, I got married and moved to Europe for a postdoc uh, as a lord with the opportunity to uh, do a postdoctoral research stay at the University of Vienna in Vienna, Austria. Also kind of a extended two and a half year honeymoon. Wasn't, wasn't a bad deal there <laughs> until yeah, I got right. to... <laughs> until I got to UT Arlington in 2005. And, and so here, I, I've been here my whole career in Arlington, Texas, uh, you know, rose to the ranks from assistant to associate to full professor. Um, and our, our research is, is broadly shaped around separation science and, and 
the fundamentals of separations and chromatography and mass spectrometry, but also its application into a wide range of fields that you know include some forensic studies, environmental analysis, energy and fuels, biological systems, natural products, yada yada yada. So, um, I, you know, this is uh, in terms of uh, an expertise in chemical analysis. I'd say that's you know pretty broad, but I'd say one of my most exciting things about you know, working in this area is being able to apply it to different uh, areas where people need to do this type of thing. Right. Yeah. You, you lost me at, I went to William and Mary to play football and I, I dropped out of football to study chemistry. So uh, I'm a liberal arts major. You, you've already uh, gone way over my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. A Andrew's going to struggle to keep up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll I'm, be right on top of all of this stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But you actually, we actually asked you on today to talk to us a little bit about THC and cannabis. Um, and in your, uh, you sent us an article on, you know, from the Journal of Separation Science, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. um, and uh, gave us a look in that there's a one page history of cannabis. And part of what surprised me was one, where they think it originated and how long it's been in the human uh, environment, for lack of a better term. Give us just a, a minute and a half history, if you would. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's really actually quite interesting. I mean, the, the, the cannabis plant, um, you know, kind of history of it in terms of use of materials goes back almost 30,000 years ago in, in you know, uh, when we we're talking about, uh, you know, development of society in Eastern Europe, they believe that the, the plant actually originated in, in Southern Siberia and the Altai Mountains. Um, as you might expect, kind of the first medical indication uh, is about 5,000 years ago out of China. Uh, is you know typical Chinese medicine approach uh, used to kind of treat menstrual fatigue and rheumatism and malaria constipation. Um, and then you know as kind of with some of these treatments is that you know into Europe in the 1800s uh, it, it was adopted in, in France and used to treat the mentally ill. Uh, but at the at the end of the 1800s, really the decline of the plant usage. Uh, there was a decline in the usage of the plant. Um, you know, I don't know all of the, you know, aspects around this, but we're familiar with the 1937 passing of the Marijuana Tax, tax Act here in the U.S. Um, and then in 1907, essentially, the use of the plant for medical use was banned, um, which is interesting because even though it, it's banned or was banned, it's currently the most widely used drug worldwide. Um, and as we've seen in the past several years now, uh, legal, you know, for adult recreational use in 15 states plus the District of Columbia, medical use uh, in, in 20 other states, and then uh, places like here in Texas, you have now the ability to access a low THC or CBD. Uh, but yeah, pretty storied history, um, but something that I think most everybody is familiar with. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the, I think the part that surprised me is the Eastern European aspect of it. I would have yeah. assumed it was South America from everything that you know, as a, as a novice, I've been taught and rumored about where it all comes from. So it's an interesting, a little bit of just interesting facts about where it came from. I think um, that just highlights how uneducated I am. I think, Andrew, you asked me, where do I think THC or marijuana yeah, came from? And I was first. like, South America, man. Yeah. And he's like, no, right. Absolutely not. Right. So that's interesting. And, uh, also this, this article, uh, which was co-authored by you, is that right? Yeah, this is uh, from a you know, group of researchers in my lab. I've got a bunch of students who work for me and we're, you know, we're often working together to write these uh, types of articles. Fantastic. And I, one of the things um, which will segue us into our next uh, topic um, that 
that surprised me from reading this article is that there's more than 500 different chemical compounds in marijuana and a hundred of those uh, are identified as cannabinoids. I, I would have only thought like, okay, so marijuana is like THC, yeah, CBD, the, the Delta nine, the yeah. CBD, and then like a few small, like I would have said 10. I, I don't yeah. know. I probably would have just said the one I, I you know, um, so just, uh, I guess quickly go over what, like, what, what are these compounds? Like, is this normal or is this on the high end for, you know, a substance like marijuana? Um, well, you know, I think a, a plant like cannabis is pretty amazing in the fact that it, you know, and this is helped along by plant breeders now, but they can grow high THC cannabis that has, you know, upwards of 30% by weight of THC. So of the whole weight of the plant, you know, a third of it is caused by the weight of this one chemical compound. So that's pretty astounding on itself. So this, this plant just pumps out these cannabinoids. Um, but as you said, there, there's a lot of different cannabinoids. You know, the THC and the CBD are often dominant and depending on you know, which kind of strain you're using. But um, even now, like two weeks ago, I, I saw a study of a report of a new cannabinoid that, you know, was found to be more bioactive than THC. Of course, it's probably present in plants in a minuscule amount at this point. But, you know, there's other cannabinoids that are known to, you know, have fat burning effects or um, the THC, you know, gets, gets the attention because it's the real psychoactive. But many of the other cannabinoids are believed to have uh, beneficial um, you know, potentially therapeutic properties that we just really don't completely understand yet. Okay, so uh, th this is, you know, we send an outline uh, and I'm going to ask a question. And, and if you don't know, you can just say, I don't know. That's an okay <laughs> answer on this show. What is the definition of a cannabinoid? Because honestly, I don't know. And you've used the term and now I'm lost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it just has to do with a, a certain arrangement of a chemical structure. I mean, you know, we have, a, you know, chemists, uh, you have, well, in, in the natural world, you have all of these different classes of compounds. And, and, and as a class of compounds, they may behave similarly, but you know, within that class, okay, you've got slightly different chemical groups arranged around. So a cannabinoid would be referring to a molecule that has a particular chemical scaffold. Um, and then the cannabinoids are, you know, slight variations on that, that chemical scaffold. But are they, are they ones that, and this is me guessing. So again, if I'm wrong, just please tell me, is, mm -hmm. are they ones that basically naturally occur in the cannabis plant? Is that where the term comes from or is it some, yeah. something else? Yeah. Yeah. That though, no, that's for sure. These are naturally occurring compounds in the cannabis plant. They, they can be manipulated by you know, people who do plant genetics. Uh, but certainly this should be very much differentiated from what people come across as being called synthetic cannabinoids. Um, a lot of synthetic cannabinoids that you come across, like things like K2, um, many of the chemical structure of those compounds are very different than the actual natural cannabinoids that are in uh, cannabis. Um, I think they're just called synthetic cannabinoids because they're, you know, meant to be synthesized to provide a similar psychoactive effect. Okay. So, Thanks. so we know the, the Delta nine THC is the, is the psychoactive, uh, cannabinoid of, uh, of marijuana. Am I, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And then, and then, you know, the, the flip side of that is the CBD, which you've heard about, which is cannabidiol. Um, and that, you know, has no psychoactive effect. It is more kind of, you know, pain relief, alertness, relief from seizures, things like that. 
Yeah, and when, of course, so, you know, if you don't know, if I haven't seen any signs for CBD, that's kind of a new, uh, a, a new thing the legislature has allowed or legalized in the state of Texas. Um, and for our listeners, I definitely would recommend going back to Tiffany Lashmet's uh, episode where she describes the hemp versus CBD um, stuff. So, so CBD really has a lot of medicinal purposes. The THC is, is the psychoactive um, uh, compound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, and then I'll, yeah, go ahead. Right. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, it's a, you know, you have this very complex mixture of can, cannabinoids, um, which, you know, even the mixture of itself is believed to, you know, modulate what that psychoactive effect would be. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, some mix of THC and CBD, this is supposed to have some different effect than if you were, you know, had high THC and no CBD. There's other compounds also in the plant called terpenes or terpenoids, um, which are really the ones that give the flavor and fragrance to them. But, but research is also now starting to really um, shed light on the, the fact that you know, these may also have some synergistic effects with the cannabinoids to elicit bioactive properties. Um, and, and then even rounding that out, you have compounds like flavonoids, which are, okay, like maybe a prominent flavonoid to tell you, give you an example would be like catechin. Catechin is one of the main reasons people, you know, drink green tea because it's a really nice antioxidant. And uh, the, the cannabis plants are also filled with these flavonoid compounds, which could have beneficial uh, therapeutic properties. So when you go back to saying, okay, 500 different compounds in here, indeed, that's probably not you know, crazy if you look at any plant, but in here you do have a huge, rich, uh, complex mixture of bioactive compounds and, and understanding how those all kind of interact and contribute to a, a, a potential therapeutic effect is, is really a, a major ongoing area of research. Yeah, that it, it is amazing. And it's also amazing how little is able to be researched historically because of uh, the federal government saying this is illegal, it's not to be used medically, and so it's been very difficult. So thank you for even just, you know, opening my eyes to how much really there is available in, in terms of ca- cannabinoids and the 500 chemicals and the 100 compounds. And um, so, so let's move on to the, actually the, the, the testing piece. So mm-hmm. um, first of all, there's the plant itself. How is that generally tested and what are some of the pros and cons of that? Yeah, so uh, obviously, I mean, okay, we can talk about plant testing in, in different contexts. There's, you know, the places that have legalized the medical cannabis and, and you know, they're, and they're through regulations required to have, you know, different testing like, you know, potency, which would be, the, you know, what levels of cannabinoids are there, but also, you know, some people might have terpenes and also the presence of contaminants like pesticides, metals, mold, bacteria, things like that, that you wouldn't want to have in there. Um, on, a, on a forensic side, obviously we're, we're more, you know, keen to try to understand, you know, is this a high THC or a low THC variant? Obviously, if you're in a state that doesn't allow the high THC variant, that's not going to be a, uh, something you want to be caught with. Um, and, yeah. and, and you know, through this testing, there's a wide range of different analytical methods, but, um, Again, in terms of the potency, uh, you come across these stories in, in the in the industry where um, you know people who are growing these would submit them to labs, and you know the people who are running the labs would say, well, "Well, how much THC do you want us to to have in there?" 
you know, we don't need to actually run this. We'll, we'll just tell you it has that much THC and then you can go sell that for whatever amount of money you can get for it, right? Obviously that's not the type of testing approach we, we want to emulate. Um, and, and I, you know, not everybody's doing it that way, but uh, it, it is a serious concern when you have a, a uh, something like this that's regulated at the state level and every state has different testing requirements. Um, as you go into the forensics lab, uh, you come across the, you know, the, the main tools that you come across for, for testing, you know, in general would be gas chromatography and liquid chromatography. And I, and I think most of this audience is probably most familiar with gas chromatography because that's the, the mainstay for, you know, doing like a blood alcohol determination. And, and you know, in that case, we, we can take a sample, we inject it into this hot injection port and it goes through and separates and goes to our detector, you know, and as long as, you know, these compounds were, were thermally stable and, and volatile, meaning, you know, they could evaporate into the air, then we can get them through to the detector and detect them that way. Um, a problem comes when uh, you have a technique like GC, which I think, you know, most forensics technicians understand, I think lawyers understand, the most judges, you know, understand reasonably well, um, at least in comparison to you know, bringing on a technique like liquid chromatography, which is, which is more complex. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that to do this testing appropriately, really the technique called liquid chromatography should be used. And, and uh, the main difference between liquid chromatography and gas chromatography is that instead of uh, putting the molecules into a vapor into the gas phase to separate them like you do in GC, you just keep everything dissolved in a liquid and, and separate those in a liquid phase um, when you're doing liquid chromatography. And it, it's, it, it is um, the, the mechanism of separations of how the chromatographic separation is, is fairly similar, straightforward. Um, it doesn't, the mechanism has changed that much, but in terms of operating in LC, um, there are some, some, some differences. Um, right. So I don't know how much you would like me to go into kind of these different approaches with so, so just, I know when we were talking uh, last week um, leading up to this interview, you had mentioned that the, the reason being that you want to, I guess that, that LC is more reliable is because in GC, when the compounds are heated up, it actually change, changes the compounds. Is, that, is right. that right? Did I get that? Did I understand that right? Yeah. So that's, that's the crux of the matter is that... Um, the, the, not all of the cannabinoids are what we'd say thermally stable. And so there are some cannabinoids, when you put them into the GC, they will be converted into other cannabinoids. Um, so that uh, specifically, uh, not only do you have Delta-9 THC or, or tetrahydrocannabinol, but you also have Delta-9 THCA, which is Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinolic acid. So the difference in there is that we have this acid group on the THCA that we didn't have on THC. And so that acid group in the hot injection port, and we're talking about an injection port that is 250 to 300 degrees Celsius. So that's greater than 500 degrees Fahrenheit. That just strips this acid group off of the molecule and it makes it look exactly like THC. And so Basing a method on something like that, that is just kind of converting one chemical into another, I, I don't think is, is, a, is a reliable approach. So does, is that Delta 9 THCA psychoactive? Does it have the same psychoactive properties as 
delta nine THC. It's a it's a real that's also really interesting. So first of all, when when you smoke, if you smoke the the cannabis, um, you will similarly convert this delta nine THCA into THC, and there, thus you will have that psychoactive component from smoking. Um, alternatively, delta nine THCA does not have a psychoactive property, but in in edibles, when people create like edibles, the this does not necessarily been converted ahead of time. And when Delta 9 THC is metabolized, it is turned into a different type of psychoactive uh, molecule um, than THC metabolites. So I, I think that's kind of, you know, people say it kind of feels different when you, you know, have an edible versus when you're smoking. And that's actually because you have different molecules acting in your body, even though they come from a very similar type of molecule. Yeah, I've, 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 I think Andrew has told me that before also. <laughs> that, that, is, that is not true. So, okay, but the important thing is like, even though, you know, the, get, the GC um, analysis converts the THCA, strips away the A and, and basically converts it to THC, much like if somebody was smoking uh, leafy marijuana, um, still in the state of Texas, the crime is possession not usage. So you're possessing an amount, you know, of, of whatever. And, um, I, I think that, so the test then could lead to a higher THC concentration than what somebody was actually possessing. That's the danger there. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, I think this also comes down to, uh, if you talk to different people, really the, I think the language, um, is that it's a 0.3% total THC. So, right. In, in principle, the conversion of the THCA to THC is a reasonable measure of the total THC content of there, even, except, you know, I guess, um, let's say, again, for the, for the sake of smoking it, uh, but not maybe for possessing it. Um, but the, the problem with, with trying to have an analytical approach that's just converting one thing into another signal is that you know, without any control is, I think you, you just, you add some uncertainty into that analysis and I mean, that type of uncertainty is not something I'd be comfortable sending somebody to jail for. Um, you know, yeah. There are ways that you can change, you know, incorporate sample preparation into a GC analysis so that you protect the acid and, and can take it through the analysis and see it. But again, that's adding some of complicated steps. It would be much better just to go and use liquid chromatography. Right. So, so that actually kind of brings me to the next question. One of my fears uh, for people who come up and tell me, Hey, I'm using my new, you know, I've got this new CBD oil or, you know, ointment or, you know, pill or whatever is in an Andy and I've talked about this many times. We'd be scared to death because we don't know who's putting this together. It's not FDA certified. It's not. Um, and, and so tell me how this, the, you know, if it's high THC versus CBD materials and how accurate is that? I mean, if we're talking about 0.3% by volume or by weight, it just seems, well, it scares me as a lot as, of uncertainty. Yeah. I, I think. The different, the difference between legal and felony is small. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there are uh, plenty of examples abound and, and we've done some analysis of our own um, where you're looking at various CBD products and it, it's not uncommon that they come up, you know, so-called hot for THC, you know, having levels above where they should be um, to be a low THC product. Um, you know, really the, 
when you start to take the plant material and process it into some of these other, you know, okay, vaping liquid or, oh my gosh, a gummy bear, or, you know, let's put this stuff in a brownie. Uh, or, you know, I know maybe we're not doing so much of that with the CBD, but it makes the analysis much more complicated. Um, so, you know, from a plant is one thing, you know, we kind of extract it, we dilute it, we shoot it into the instrument, we can make our measurement. Um, but those oils have gone through some various processing. Okay, sometimes maybe they're maybe even purer than the plant material, but they've added other stuff to it. Um, you know, if you have a gummy bear, it's full of sugar and stuff. So the testing is, is nothing, it's not straightforward, especially from a forensic standpoint. You're talking about going into a, a research lab uh, you know, and using techniques like liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry to really get the appropriate precision and accuracy you need, you know, to, to dial in a product like that, especially um, when you, like you said, you've got this, you know, clear threshold uh, and not a lot of regulation of how these things have been made. Yeah, uh, that it that is scary, especially when you just said like you test CBD products and sometimes they come back hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All the time. Terrifies me. Well, and well it, not it, only that, I mean, don't, you know, you might take these things because you're scared of the THC, but, but to be honest, there's other things that could be in there even worse. I mean, these vaping pens, if you're extracting metals and stuff from questions, but we don't need to go there, but I mean, it, there's yeah. the fact that it's not regulated is a, is a big problem. Yeah. It, it, it well, the, 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 the fact that, when I look at the people that are manufacturing a lot of this stuff and I see either somebody like one of my uncles, an old hippie, or I see a 20 something and I'm not knocking 20 somethings. I've got a 20 something who's about to finish his master's in medical science. We love 20 somethings, um, right? We love them. I mean, they're, they're great they're clients. Great clients. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I go, I, a lot of them don't have real good experience with, um, well, chemicals, chemical analysis, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're basically doing this for lack of a better well, they're, term. They're half, trusting half other baked. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's like a level of trust that people, you know, Hey, this is sold at a pharmacy. It's gotta be good. And, right. Or it's sold you know, on main street, you right. know, just down the street from the courthouse. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, now it's not just CBD. I mean, perhaps you've, if you've ever, I don't know if you've, followed any but heard of delta 8 thc like now this is the big thing uh you'll see posted around uh these cbd shops is we're now selling delta 8 thc which is okay it's got one carbon chain less than delta 9 thc and it because of that it has a fraction of the bioactivity but again it's it's not regulated now you've got something that maybe gives you a little bit of a high so uh, okay maybe the, the people who can't get the real stuff are really you know, loading himself up on it. And again, it's not regulated. So who knows whether it has maybe some other stuff in there. So I, yeah, I would say anybody who's taking any of these CBD or related products um, is at a risk if they get tested to, to probably to find some, you know, THC in their, in their meta you know, metabolism. Right. So, so, and again, that brings us, I think to, to, to kind of our final question, uh, the technical question anyway, the techniques, what are the better techniques for distinguishing THC, you know, Delta-9, uh, THCA, CBD, Delta-8, especially if we're looking at somebody's blood sample um, or, or hair follicle test to find out if they've been using when they shouldn't be? 
Yeah. Well, the biological fluid testing, let me, let me go there because really this is the main point is, you know, to do cannabis potency testing or to be looking for metabolites and biological fluids, we really should be using liquid chromatography. Um, that's because we can preserve all the components, you know, all the acid components and non-acid codes. We pr preserve them in their form. We don't have to pre-treat the sample significantly unless we're, you know, extracting for some very complex matrix. You know, we don't apply heat. Um, you know, so using liquid chromatography, uh, let's say with an ultraviolet detector. So you, you, we have to be able to see these things if they separate. One of the common ones is to use UV light. Um, these cannabinoids do absorb UV light. And so um, that, that is the detection technique that is appropriate for looking at plant material for the, and to, to quantify the relative levels of, let's say, THC and CBD or Delta-8, Delta-9 THC. It can separate these things well and differentiate them. And it gives you some specificity. Um, you know, most of the cannabinoids will look a, similar to a UV detector, but there's different things that you can do to look at, you know, how pure is the peak in the chromatogram and things. Once we go beyond plant material into biological fluids, we're now talking about, you know, really trace analysis. We're not looking at stuff that's at, you know, a percent or a fraction of percent. We're looking, you know, parts per million levels of these things. And, and we really need to have the sensitivity and specificity. So that all of those measurements need to be done by liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry. Um, and, and, and again, here, okay, you're doing it for the sensitivity and specificity, but you are also adding on um, some complicating factors. I mean, LCMS is not as robust as GCMS. Uh, you know, the things that you might look for in a reliable GCMS testing uh, in terms of method validation and, and such might be a little different when you're going to LCMS just by nature of the, I mean, it's a reliable measurement, but requires a little bit more control to make sure you're, you're getting the, the, the measurements you think you're getting. So how many, um, you know, we, we, well, first off, do you feel like we're living in a, a Renaissance age for chemical analysis because of the legalization of CBD? Like, is this the exciting time to be alive for Dr. Shug? <laughs> well, I do say I do really enjoy liquid chromatography more than gas chromatography uh, as, a, as a research tool. Um, from the forensic side, there are forensics labs that do use liquid chromatography appropriately to do drugs of abuse. I but absolutely think that we have to have more of the adoption of these uh, techniques in the forensics lab to to do this effectively. And yeah, so that, that feeds right into, into my wheelhouse. So do you, um, do you know, like most of our, Andrew and I's like cases, um, if you're arrested at the County level, those substances get sent off to a DPS crime lab for the most part with some others, you know, random private labs thrown in. Um, do you know how many of these, of the DPS labs are using, uh, LC MS versus the GC tests? I don't really know the proportion at this point. My kind of, you know, un unofficial straw poll asking a few people really showed uh, mixed uh, usages. Uh, I'm aware of some testing that's been done that's been done by GCFID for plant testing, which I would say is absolutely unreliable. Okay. Um, but then I've also talked to some of my former students who are, you know, with the uh, some of the forensics labs in, in Dallas, and I know that they run LC methods. I just don't know to the extent whether they're, you know, they're really applied into the cannabis analysis. 
right. Yeah. So maybe that's like another, like a, just an initial review that the attorneys can do is like, okay, was this done by LC or GC? You know? Yeah. The question. I mean, so I think that, you, there. you know, that's really where, where, you know, you know, one of the reasons why I'm talking to you here is because I think that's where I can help and, and my colleagues can help. Um, so in terms of my involvement as, a, as an expert witness in forensics cases, uh, it's really been around um, close inspection of discovery documents. So, okay, the lawyer gets, even if the lawyer doesn't know what to request from, from the, the forensics lab, like we can help with that. But, you know, most lawyers, uh, you know, or through their networks have you know, a laundry list of, of, of things that they would like to see that have been documented associated with the testing. And then you get the ream of, you know, a couple hundred, you know, at least a couple hundred you know, pages or documents that need to be sifted through to say, you know, is this all you know, up to snuff or are there some issues here? Um, so I've done that, you know, for, for blood alcohol and drugs of abuse cases and somewhat in the cannabis case. Now, um, more recently, I've been uh, working with some of my colleagues. To, we formed a new company uh, called Medusa Analytical. Um, you can go look at medusaanalytical.com. But one of the things that we really think we can do to help is, is we're offering a service. Um, it's called Discovery Check. And essentially for a, a small amount, um, really a fraction of what you would spend on an effort. Anyway, we will go through and kind of quickly go through the, the discovery documents. And, and we have a checklist and says, you know, okay, yes, they've got that. That looks good. That looks good. Fine. But, but we will make note of of any instances where we think, you know, there might be bigger issues to look into. Okay, the, you know, the chain of custody doesn't look reasonable here. Um, and provide that back to the lawyer, you know, again, for, for a very reasonable rate to then decide whether, you know, they'd like to have the experts dig in and, and write a, a longer report. Um, I love that. Cause like a lot of times when I'm looking at an expert, it's like, okay, we got to go all in. And then the report you get back is like, well, everything looks good. Yeah. It looks pretty good. Yeah. I know. And that's, I think, right. I, it, for me, you know, well, I, I've definitely been on both cases and it's, it's and I, I see that it, it, if there should be a lower barrier to entry to see whether the stuff is, you know, done well or not. Yeah. And, and that's really what we're trying to provide. Right. Well, I is mean, there on the, on the website, which we'll link to in our show notes, um, is, do you have like a list of the documents that you, that you need, maybe like a checklist, like, um, make sure you get these, or you're requesting these documents from the lab. This is what we absolutely need to review. Um, I would, I would love to say that on the website, we had all of that up together right now, but we're honestly still, you know, this is a fairly new thing that we're putting yeah. together. Um, I would be happy to provide, you know, those types of things to anybody who reached out to me. Um, you know, there's a, there is a email address on the website. Um, okay. and, uh, but, but indeed we, we, I'd be happy, even though there's not currently those things on the website, I'd be happy to provide some examples to people who are interested in having that service. Perfect. Cool. Yeah, no, this is, this has been excellent. Um, uh, I, I truly feel smarter. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> and I mean, GC that honestly is, you know, gas chromatography is used in everything, blood analytics. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, um, I think it's like synonymous. Like you get a lab result back, it's going to be a GC analysis I, for, for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. And so just knowing that, hey, well, actually, you know, that's, that may not be the best. You know, the first time we heard that was when we interviewed Mimi Coffee. She's like, make sure it's not GCFID. Mm -hmm. um, and 
Andrew and I just kind of looked at each other and was like, okay, okay. Mimi. <laughs> uh, and then she was like, you have to talk to Dr. Shook. You have to talk to Dr. Shook. So um, we really appreciate you being here because this is a huge area for, for a lot of lawyers. Right. It, it, it is. It's not it's, going and it's gonna be time soon. Right. Yeah. It's going to be growing. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that it, it does, it does involve some more complicated testing. Um, and, and, you know, those things are going to have their, you know, those testings are, can all be done reliably, but, you know, they have to be done reliably and they're going to have different nuances that people are going to have to recognize. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's as, and to not only that, but to know that, you know, you and, and the good people at Medusa Analytical are, will review, you know, DWI blood cases, um, really anything that involves a chemical analysis. Um, yep. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's which which is sure. amazingly beneficial, right? I'm, and again, I told you I have I have a liberal arts degree. I took biology in college, um, but but I'm by no means a a a, a lab nerd. Um, and literally had my son look over a report one time uh, again, who's now working on his master's in medical science, and he goes, "Dad, this was supposedly tested on a day that it didn't come out of the refrigerator." Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would not have like cross-checked those dates. <laughs> and, and, and he spotted it in five minutes. Yeah. Well, that was a huge deal to the jury. They were like, that's a problem. Um, I see that all the time. It's amazing. Like that, that the, uh, it, it appears based on the chain of custody that they'll take the sample out of the refrigerator and it will sit on the table for hours to days before it gets to testing. And like, that's just not good practice. Right. Right. And, and you know, so, so yes, having a set of eyes, um, hopefully at a reasonable price, to just look at those things and go, you need to do more research on this. Right, uh, can make a big deal. Yeah. So we also like to, while we're while we're a relatively serious podcast, we also like to end with a little bit of fun. We're serious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Seriously, we're serious. <laughs> um, uh, so our fun questions uh, we ask of everybody who comes on the show: uh, favorite band or musical artist? Yeah. That, that might be the toughest question you've asked me today. Um, <laughs> I love all kinds of music, you know, everything from, you know, rap to hip hop to classic rock. If I have to pick one that I'm going to list, you know, that I probably would never change the channel on, it would probably be Guns N' Roses. Right on. I dig it, man. Um, but but man, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not too difficult to get along with when it turns to music. Cool. That's great. Yeah. So like, you know, going on a long road trip with you is the, you know, in the shotgun seat, probably pretty entertaining. <laughs> uh, I, try, I try to make it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, what about your favorite book or, or maybe one you've read recently that, that you're recommending to people? Yeah. The, so the one book that, that I read that really stuck with me um, is, is a book called a more beautiful question. Uh, and it's okay. I mean, I've read my share of fiction and nonfiction, but this one really, uh, it talks about, it's by uh, Warren Berger, and it, it really just identifies how um, kind of the most creative, successful people are really good question askers. And then, you know, as you read something like that and have the front thrown in front of you, and, and I'm around students and these kind of challenges for the students all the time, and it really, be, it's difficult to ask a good question, and it takes a lot of practice. And I, I think this that book really brought that into into focus for me and and that's been a, important for me but in teaching in my own life i think yeah having worked on a doctorate once upon a time that was 
the hardest part was them look and, and I didn't complete it. I'm just going to be honest, but the hardest part was the, the, my mentors telling me, you got to ask a better question, ask a more narrow question, ask a more mm-hmm. effective question. So I'm not going to have to read this book. Maybe it would have changed my, maybe I would well, have completed it. <laughs> it. It's a great easy read because it talks about how, you know, even big companies like Google and Airbnb and these, that they really are a question asking culture in their company. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, with you dealing with the scientific process day in and day out, you know, like let's, let's get a better, you know, hypothesis or, or, you know, whatever. That's yeah, about all the, I know about the scientific. Process. You got to be able to identify and solve these problems. And so I think you, you got to ask the right question to, to get at what the real issue is. Cool. All right. Last question. Best piece of advice you've been given. Yeah, that one was a lot easier because that one comes from my former PhD advisor. Um, and he always said to make sure you pay it forward that um, if you learn something, if somebody teaches you something, then you, you owe it to, to pass that information on. Um, not, not to keep it for yourself, um, but to, to try to make it more broadly known. And, and so I think that that's one I try to live by. Well, we greatly appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. That is, it has been uh, a help to us, uh, a blessing to us, and we will try to pass it along to others when this show broadcast yep, is posted. That's yeah. that's uh, for sure. And so, I, I'm guessing the best way to for our listeners to get a hold of you is at medusaanalytical.com. Yeah, I think you, medusaanalytical.com. Uh, if you search me, you know Kevin Shug. If you search, you'll come up with my also my UTA email. Anybody can contact me anyway, like that. I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, and and for those listening, Shug is S C H U G, um, not Shug, just short for sugar. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, Kevin, it has been it has been a, a pleasure talking to you. I truly feel like I've learned a lot. Chemical analysis is not my foretaste, um, uh, so so thank you for that. Uh, sure. Andy, where can they find us? Well, everybody, y'all can always find us at texascrimdefense.com. Uh, we're on all major podcast platforms. And wherever you're finding this podcast, go ahead and leave us a rating and review and share it with your friends. Like Dr. Shook says, pay it forward. If you learn something, pass it on. I'm sure there's somebody out there who, who is going to get a lot of value from this uh, from this interview and, and from reaching out to, to Dr. Shook. So. All right. Until next time, we really appreciate you. For Andrew Harris, I'm Andrew Decker. Bye.